0: Hello, and welcome to another edition of Lit These Days, presented by the Mark Literary Review. I'm Jessica.
1: And I'm Adam.
0: And we're your hosts. So this week, we're going to talk about the books that we finished reading. We don't really have anything that we're currently reading right now. Sorry about that, listeners. But (laughs) we have good good books that we're going to talk about that we finished, so it'll be okay.
1: We 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 concluded our great reads right before we recorded here yes yeah.
0: and then we have small press books that we're going to recommend and what else are we going to talk about today what was the we other thing
1: small press books and we're also going to talk about guilty pleasure reading
0: guilty pleasure reading mm-hmm. yes, yes,
1: yes yes. whatever that means we will define it as we go
0: <laughs> yeah um what did you finish reading this week
1: so I finished three books, three books and a, and a comic book one one shot. It was a weird week. I set out to read the one book I wanted to read, which was the Hear the Wind Sing by Haruki Murakami. And then I read a bunch of like horror comics, which never happens. Like I I like horror. I grew up watching a lot of horror movies and and reading like scary books, but um For whatever reason, that happened to this week. So it was kind of a strange week for reading, but I read a lot of good things. So, Hear the Wind Sing was the first one that I read. Uh, And that's the first Haruki Murakami book and the second one that I've read. But I really, it's the first book of fiction of his that I've read. I think we we talked about this before. Did you say you have 9Q84, but you haven't read it yet?
0: I have 1Q84 and Killing. Oh, man. Well, I can't remember the title of it. Killing Commandador or something like that. But I yeah. have those two books on my shelf and I haven't read them yet.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, the one that I read has like nothing to do with his fiction. It's just about running. Uh, he does talk about writing, but it was just kind of a, eh, okay, cool. Kind of a kind of mm-hmm. an interesting sports book. Um, but this one is his first novel. It's an interesting place to start because it's, I, I kind of want to track his evolution as a writer since I don't know much about him especially since this series leads into, so this is the first two books. Uh, It's in one volume. And I read the first book in the, in the two part volume and the third book in the series gained him notoriety american notoriety that's really what started to make make a name for himself and that's a wild sheep chase so i kind of want to see what well what was the difference between the beginning of the series and a wild sheep chase what what changed because he really does grow as an author from what i from what i understand and this book was released in 1979 but not in the u.s until 2015 so it's actually relatively new so it's combined with Pinball 1973, so it's called Wind Pinball. Is the volume that I was looking at here. And his his later works are characterized as having elements of surrealism, and there's there's some elements of that in this first volume, but it's it's mainly a realist realistic text. Uh, it follows an unnamed author as he comes home from college for the summer, and all all he does is he hangs out with his friend the Rat. So we don't get the Rat's name. He drinks, uh, he has sex once or twice. He reads, he ruminates about school, thinks about relationships. He's lost, listens to the jazz and goes back to college. That's the entire book. So like the description on the back tells you nothing about what happens. And that's pretty much because nothing, nothing happens in the book. It's just that I come home, I do some things and then I, and then I go back to college. It's not like matched though. Like, we talked about last week with matched being really, really, or two weeks ago, really boring. Um, and, and hard to get through because of that. Nothing happens here, but it's interesting and it's and it's entertaining. But I'm also a weirdo who likes books about dudes who drink and ruminate and then go home. And, and so take my recommendation with a grain of salt. But I really liked okay. the writing that was here.
0: What makes this better? Like in Matched and in, in this book, nothing really happens. But what makes this one better than Matched?
1: I, th- I think for this, it's it's the expectation. One, I didn't really have an expectation of what was in this book because I didn't have a description of what was in this book. And when I when I opened the inside, there's not a jacket here. It's paperback. There's a nice glossy explanation and plot summary on the inside of the of the front page. Um, But I ignored it because I kind of wanted to go in blind with matched you're expecting action because you, you know, it's a utopian slash dystopian leads into dystopian novel. It's written in that time period of the hunger game. So you really expect it to be kind of action packed. Uh, and you expect certain things from it. And that wasn't there. It was just boring and, and, and nothing happened and nothing happened in like a really uninteresting way. Like again, mm-hmm. where we're like, we just go this way. We talk about how we love each other and then we go this way. And then we, we talk about how we love each other. Whereas this one, at least interesting things are happening here. Um, You'd think for this book, there'd be some like (laughs) philosophy to go along with it. Like, you know, he's just kind of sitting in a bar reading. You think he'd be like talking philosophy, but you'd be wrong. Um, So (laughs) on page seven, this is spelled out pretty well for you. This kind of sets up how this book is going to go. If it's art or literature you're interested in, I suggest you read the Greeks. Pure art exists only in slave-owning societies. The Greeks had slaves to till their fields, prepare their meals, and and row their galleys while they lay about on sun-splashed Mediterranean beaches, composing poems and grappling with mathematical equations. That's what art is. If you're the sort of guy who raids the refrigerators of silent kitchens at three o'clock in the morning, you can only write accordingly. That's who I am. (laughs) And that's really (laughs) what it is. He's just... He's just... Doing things again, though, it's it's interesting. There's a scene where he he doesn't describe what happened initially, but he's he's looking at a woman who's laying in his bed and he's just kind of like in the corner looking at her. And you're like, that's weird. What is going on here? And when she wakes up, she's she's like freaked out. And then he he starts to explain like, hey, like you, you passed out like in the in the pub yesterday, like on the bathroom floor and nobody knew what to do. So like you gave me your keys. I took you to your apartment. I laid you down. And and, and the dialogue is pretty interesting because it's like, OK, well, like I don't trust you. Like you're, I wake up and you're just staring at me. It's like, yeah, but like you, I, I want to make sure you don't don't throw up and, you know, choke on your own vomit and die, that would be awful for everyone. So weird things like that happen. And then, and then that character comes back over and over again. And that, and that trust starts to, starts to break down and they start to, to care for each other a little bit more. Does it go anywhere? No. Cause one of the themes is, is just loss of relationship. So it just kind of fizzles out. Cause he goes back to, mm-hmm. goes back to college at the end of the year. But again it makes it it makes for an interesting read and the writing style makes for a very interesting read as well. He he gives an introduction in the book where he talks about he tried to write in Japanese when he first started to write and he felt like he just couldn't do it. He had so many things to say and he's fluent in his home language so he just couldn't contain it. So what he did was he wrote a story in English. And then he took his story in English and he translated it to Japanese. And that's what he submitted. Yeah. So you get this really kind of bare bones writing style where like, you know, heavy on the dialogue and the descriptions are very, very straightforward. It's a little like Bukowski, but not not as not not as offensive, not offensive. Um, But it's it, it. A lot of his critics, and he talks about this, say like, hey, like you're an affront to the Japanese language. Like your books sound like they're translations. And, you know, his response is like, yeah, because it's a translation. Like I can't I can't write otherwise. Like I just go off on way too many tangents if I if I write in Japanese. So I thought that was interesting. He, He talks about how he was at a baseball game and that's where he got the inspiration to write like he was just sitting watching a baseball game it was a like picture perfect day and then all of a sudden he gets this thought of i should write a novel so he does he goes to his kitchen table for 4 months like in the evening when he's done with work and he just he writes out this novel sends the only draft off that he has to a contest they won't send it back if they reject him and they don't reject oh, him. They accept it for publication. And his thinking was if they if they reject me and don't send it back, I'll never write anything again, So, <laughs> which oh, is interesting. Oh, my gosh. Yeah.
0: This guy sounds yeah. dramatic in the best possible way.
1: <laughs> yeah, he does. But at the same time, it's it's very and again, maybe it's translation here, but he's very just like, oh, this happened. And like, if I didn't get back, like, fine, like, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Like he he didn't it didn't seem like he was going to be. Now, he's presenting himself how he wants to present himself, but it didn't seem like he was going to be upset if this novel he worked on for four months didn't come back to him. He, he was working in this. He, he, he does get some criticism from the Japanese side of things. like you're, This is too much of a Western author, so he's, he's maybe not as appreciated as he is in the West. Uh, and part of that, he talks about it, was when he, when he was in school, he did everything out of order. Like there's a rigid social structure here. And he broke that he, he married first um, and then he purchased a business and then he graduated. Like he did it in that order oh. and then he purchased the business. Cause he basically just wanted to sit around and, and listen to jazz music. So it was a jazz cafe that that he was running. So you can see like you write about yourself, like the character sits around listens to jazz music and, and reads. <laughs> so.
0: Yeah. And also, um, Uh, On a a podcast I was listening to, Books Unbound, Hmm. this must have been last summer. I remember listening to this episode when I was mowing the lawn at my parents' house. And they were talking about how uh, Haruki Murakami has his own radio show. And he just plays, I believe it's jazz music that he just plays and then he like talks about the music. And I thought that was really fun. And I was like, I should listen to that. But it's probably in Japanese. So I won't. I just yeah. won't listen to
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the music's great though. Like and he name he names drops people that he listens to. Miles Davis is the only one that comes to mind right now, but I didn't know that. That's interesting. He's he's an interesting character. He strikes me as and maybe that's why the book works like he strikes me as kind of a you know boring person but very interesting because of it like this is just mm-hmm. what i what i like to do now i'm saying that having not read other haruki Murakami books uh, and they do get more surrealistic as they go along you can see that a little bit in this book it's written in first person perspective and then it switches to a chapter which is <laughs> speaking of radio it's a radio broadcast. So it's, it's just the text from a radio broadcast. And then the Mm -hmm. immediate following chapter is he's listening to that radio broadcast and the radio broadcaster starts to talk to him. It's just like, Hey, what do you want to listen to? And he's like, Hey, are are you talking to me? And he has this conversation with the radio about music and things like that happen a couple of times here and there. And, and again, they're really interesting because they come out of nowhere and then they kind of they disappear so it very much feels it doesn't feel unfinished it feels like a complete work but he didn't he didn't want them published into english for the longest time which is why it came out in 2015 because he felt like they were too immature and i can see Mm -hmm. if they came out before the other things it would be it would be a little strange to read but i i really liked it so again take my take my recommendation with a grain of salt know what you're getting into um but check it out. If you, if you like Haruki Murakami and you haven't read them, then certainly, certainly check them out.
0: What was the title of that one again?
1: So that was Hear the Wind Sing by Haruki Murakami, which I've had trouble remembering because, again, it's part of that collection. And this is where you would find it um, called Wind Slash Pinball, which is a cool like double sided book. So when you're done with the one, you flip the book over. And you can start the other one. My wife thought I was reading the book upside down and, and didn't ask <laughs> about it. I, I explained it one day and she's like, oh, I just thought you were reading upside down. I'm like, that's weird that that's you didn't something say
0: my anything. boyfriend would do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you said you had um, other books that you read as well.
1: Yeah. So I was going to say everything else that I, I finished this week was, again, wildly different. It was that unplanned week of, of horror fiction. So these are all these are all graphic novels. And the first one I read was Red Fork by Alec Pacnadel. Uh Neil Vendrell was on art and uh, Gila Busco, I believe, is on, is on colors. Wouldn't wouldn't recommend it. I picked it up on a on a whim on comiXology. Do you know what comiXology is?
0: I have no idea.
1: It's another way for Amazon to to take over the world. It's it's their digital okay, comics okay. service, yeah. Um, and 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 you can subscribe to it. It's kind of like a Netflix where there's a ton of stuff you can read for free, and then everything else is automatically discounted. And this is like two bucks and i enjoy the studio it's from tko studios they they published goodnight paradise which is the best trade paperback that i've read this year uh, interesting social commentary murder mystery set on set on a beach that's being gentrified so i thought ah cool okay it's the same studio i like them i'll check this one out and it's a solid meh it's all right it's 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 mm-hmm. okay i don't i don't feel bad that i read it but I wouldn't read it again, and I wouldn't recommend it. It's a shame because it, it had a lot of potential. It's, it's set in Appalachian coal country in West Virginia. It's this guy named Noah and his brother Cole. They are, they're addicted to opioids, and they break into the local dentist's office. And he's there, and he finds them. And Cole attacks the dentist. He stabs him, I believe. But Noah takes the rap for it and goes to goes to prison and then it cuts forward years and years later he gets out of prison he's clean he returns to the town it's where his daughter is whom he's never he's never met his father's there and he's dying from you know health issues black lung so he comes back and what he finds when he's there is there's a creature that lives in the mines that has been released by his brother. His brother is in a mine which collapses. And there's this stranger who looks like he's straight out of the 1800s that walks up to him. He's like, hey, I can help you out if you can help me. Sure. What's the worst that could happen? So he moves him. He gets him out of the, the coal mine. And then all of a sudden weird things start to happen in this town. And this, this guy, again, who looks like he's from the 1800s, starts to heal people. So he, he get he brings this coal, this like clear coal out of the mines. And if they, if they, I think if they just touch it, if they touch the coal, like whatever disease is in them comes out of them. Uh, but really he's just tricking them to release this beast that's been living in the, the bottom of the coal mines for hundred, a hundred plus years. So the potential for the social commentary there is great, but it doesn't, it doesn't come together. There's the heartless coal baron, but her villainy kind of, and of fizzles out. There's the health impact of coal mining on miners. There's the opioid crisis. Uh, but they just don't they don't pull it off. It just doesn't come mm-hmm. together. Partly, I think that's the fault of the illustrator. The art it seems pretty well praised. There's a handful of times where there's like a big facial reaction. And a couple of times they're overreactions to like something that somebody says. And the eye lines between the characters don't match up like drastically don't match up so we're standing we're looking at each other we're screaming at each other but the eyeline of somebody is looking up <laughs> and the other one is looking down and it very obviously doesn't match up in it and it takes you out of that moment it robs you of that emotional heft that should be there other than that the art's good but it doesn't seem to quite match with the horror demands like there's gross body humor but it's just cartoony enough that it doesn't land. Like it should be grosser Mm -hmm. than it is. Obviously you don't want it to be like photorealistic because that would be too gross, but it's like it's just enough where you're like, eh, this this is it's not gritty enough. It's not it's not hitting here. That said the coloring is is gorgeous. Um there's scenes of supernatural carnage set against the backdrop of rural West Virginia. Very effective and symbolic, but it just, again, it just, it doesn't work. There's odd character moments, like Noah comes back and the mine collapses and everyone's like, I just I knew you shouldn't have come back. Like, but he didn't make the <laughs> mine collapse, like he just came back.
0: <laughs> Did you say the characters' names were Noah and Cole?
1: Noah and Cole, yep.
0: Can we just address the fact that they're working in a coal mine and the guy's name is Cole?
1: We can, which I did not put together until now, (laughs) since I haven't vocalized it and it's spelled C-O-L-E, did not put that together at all.
0: I feel like, I feel like there could have been a different name for that character, but maybe we're just nitpicking.
1: It's a bit on the nose, but you know how it is with books. Once you get a little nitpicky, everything starts to, everything starts to fall apart if you don't like something. Uh, Yeah. Oh man. Good catch. I didn't notice that. Didn't notice that at all. Um, So again, it's a generic monster story. Uh, it doesn't really pack a punch. Red Fork by Alex Pacnendale. Um, Yeah, wouldn't recommend it. Eh, it's all right. It's all right. But I did get to wash the taste of that away with Homesick Pilots, Volume 1. Uh, Dan Waters is the author. Casper Wingard like, co-created it, and he does the art. And this is, get ready for this. This is a mashup that doesn't seem like it should make any sense. This is Power Rangers meets Ghostbusters, fine so far, meets The Shining.
0: That's going to be the title of this podcast episode. I'm just telling <laughs> you right now.
1: <laughs> Power Rangers meets Ghostbusters meets The Shining. It's perfect. It's perfect. Uh, and it works perfectly. Like it, I'm shocked at how well this book pulls off what it's trying to pull off. So this follows a, a group of, of teenage punk rockers. They're in a band called the, the Homesick Pilots. That's where the, that's where the title comes from. Their rival band is the Nuclear Bastards. They're in this huge rivalry. <laughs> and they decide, like, hey, we're going to outdo the Nuclear Bastards. We're going to do a show in the local haunted house. So they break into the haunted house to, to check this out. Uh, and the artwork is beautiful. When they go into the house they break in through the top of the house. And the nuclear bastards are also there and they break in through the bottom. So there's this two page spread, which is a cross section of the house. And you can follow them through each one of the rooms up top as they work their way towards the middle, towards the heart of the house and their conversations. you can follow the other group of teenagers through the bottom of the house as they work their way to the heart of the house, and then they meet in the middle. So it's not a linear read on this page. You kind of go back and forth like, okay, they're getting closer and closer. So there's cool stuff like that throughout Mm -hmm. the book. So while they are in there, the house basically kills off the rival band and takes Amy. She's the she's the main character and kidnaps her, like traps her inside of the house and expels the other members of the members of her band. And she becomes like to this house. She has to go out and find objects that used to be in the house that are haunted objects out in the world and bring them back to the house. So she's like the vessel of this house where the power ranger stuff comes in is whenever she finds whatever object it is, like those objects can turn people into like these giant monsters that fight other giant monster ghosts. Uh, and it becomes very much like, Hey, we can combine, we can become this house. It sounds kitschier than it is. Um, and I think this is one where unlike Red Fork, the art nails what they're trying to go for. It's very reliant on hues of, of, of pink and red and dark blues and dark purples. And then Amy, whenever she's there, she's like she's usually colored in white after she's been you know, kidnapped by this house. So she sticks out. It's gorgeous to look at. So it has a neon feel to it, um, really makes the character pop, really makes the the ghosts pop. Um, And that and again, that cross section scene like that comes back several times throughout throughout the story. It is kind of a cartoony feel to it. But for this one, again, it works. And I think I think the coloring lends itself to that. And also just the content like it's 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 a ghost story. It's over the top. There's some extreme violence in it. And and being that it's a little bit more cartoony, like it's kind of like, oh, okay cool. Like it's just watch it's watching kind of a cheesy horror movie in, in those moments. So if you want kind of a a masterclass and here's here's how you pull something like this off through artwork and through design and that's what graphic novels that's what comics are really all about this would be the this would be the one to go to. So that's the other one that I read for the week.
0: I feel like it should also be like meets Harry Potter as well because it reminds me of the seven horcruxes and having to go find those as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's everything thrown into one and it gets like ridiculously over the top, but again it just it works. Um I think that's even the selling point on the back is not the Ghostbuster side, but it's like Power Rangers meets The Shining. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> all right. Guess I'll check that out. So check that highly recommended. If you like horror fiction even just a little bit, um, check it out because I, I feel like anyone would like it. I'm not so, a huge homesick- horror
0: person, but I I feel like I have to read this now because I'm very intrigued.
1: Yeah, you should at least for the artwork alone. It's it's a gorgeous, gorgeous book to to look at. So Homesick Pilots, Volume One, Dan Waters. Maybe save it for Halloween.
0: Do you had another one right, or was that?
1: What that was pretty much it. Um, I read an oversized one shot, which is just like a, a bigger comic. It's about 50 pages from Aftershock. It was called Eden. Um, and it's it it follows a, a woman who comes into a tattoo parlor gets a tattoo will come in a couple of days later and the tattoo's gone so she just keeps getting tattoos they keep mysteriously disappearing so it follows her and it follows the tattoo artist who is who is grieving the loss of his family he lost his son and his wife to a car crash and that's all I'll say about it um It's beautiful artwork and it turned into, there's a twist near the end that like, I kind of like stood back and gasped. Um, It turns into a body horror type of Mm -hmm. deal for the last maybe 10 pages of the book. So there's a, there's a nice little surprise there. So that was a fun little like quick read. I didn't expect it to be horror, but I guess that's just what the week led me to. So Mm -hmm. uh, Cullen Bunn wrote that one, Eden by Cullen Bunn.
0: Nice. You're giving me a lot of good comic book recommendations that I need to check out and actually, actually go get them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just don't check out Red Fork because it wasn't great. <laughs> okay.
0: Yes. Yes. Um, well, for me, this week, I finished reading People We Meet on Vacation by Emily Henry. And oh, my God, did I cry. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. This book was, oh, I have an announcement to make. A big announcement. Emily Henry I've read one other book by her and that was Beach Read love that book and I love this book and now Emily Henry is not only one of my favorite authors but she is my favorite romance author ever so we're just gonna put that out there wow she's great so I'll give a little background as to what this book is about so the main characters are Alex and Poppy and they meet in college and they decide when they're in college that they're going to start going on trips together during their summers. And they go all over the world. But then Alex goes off to get his master's degree after college. And Poppy becomes a travel writer in New York City. So Alex is living in, like, Indiana or something like that. One of the I states. I don't remember. I think it's Indiana. And so they still try to take a trip every year summer but it's definitely harder and then they also get uh, significant others that that they're dating at the time and their significant others don't really like that they're hanging out so much because they think it's kind of suspicious that they're so close and you get from the very beginning of the novel that they are perfect for each other I mean they're they they just need to end up together and you get that from the very beginning and you know that they're both in love with each other they just won't admit it so the whole time you're like will they won't they what's gonna (laughs) happen i don't know and you also know that uh well this book jumps between present day and then it goes like back and forth between the summers that they're having their trips so you get like present day and then five years ago they're in this place and four years ago they're in this place and you know that when they're in croatia maybe that trip was like five years before when they're in croatia something happens between those two but you don't know exactly what happens you just know that something happened so the whole time you're like i need to know what happened just tell me already (laughs) and i was sucked in the whole time that i was reading it and it's not a very steamy romance so if you're looking for like a steamy romance Maybe this one's not for you, but I think that it's very well written. Something that I really appreciated was like kind of when we talked on the John Green episode Mm. where John Green's characters all feel the same. This is the exact opposite of that. Like Alex and Poppy could not be more different in the best possible way. And I saw a lot of myself in Alex because he's a very anxious person who likes to be in control of things so i was like (laughs) i relate to this guy i like it a lot and then um poppy is kind of like the opposite i mean she wears like loud 70s orange jumpsuits and she's very um extroverted and they're the complete opposites but they really complement each other a lot and um i'm sure you can tell it's a romance novel so you know it happens at the Mm -hmm. end And Um, so I thought the way that things wrapped up were, was very well done. And then like throughout the story, you get kind of like the heartbreak that comes with these two people that aren't able to be together. But like, like I said, things wrap up very well in the end. So I gave this a five out of five stars. One of my favorite books, love it so much. So that's The People We Meet on Vacation by Emily Henry.
1: You you mentioned that book uh, a week or two ago. In mm-hmm. in the the subsequent time when I got on Goodreads, that was immediately in my feed. Was hey, this is trending. You mm-hmm. should you should read this. So of course, I clicked I clicked want to read. That sounds like the perfect kind of lead into to summer book or summer book there.
0: Yeah. Also, so they go on vacation during the summer to some some desert in California. For Poppy's job as a travel writer, and the whole thing is just hot. Like I thought, the weather became its own character, which was mm-hmm. really interesting. Mm-hmm. You just get like this overwhelming feeling of just hot. So it would be, I think, a good summer read. But also maybe in the winter time, if you're just missing the heat, then you just yeah. pick this book up. So you know, could be a good read for for whenever.
1: Thaw you, thaw you out in the dead of. The dead of winter that's, yeah. that's interesting that you say that it, it becomes its own character because I feel like when people think of romance fiction, especially if they don't like it a lot of times they think, "Ah, it's just you know you're just trying to get to the to the steamy scenes or, or the love scenes, the big climaxes, the big connections. It sounds like this one maybe takes its time with that, mm-hmm. um, just to have that description, like memorable description in a romance novel. That sounds really, really cool.
0: Yeah, and it's not just like a a romance where you're like waiting for them to get together. There's also a lot of I hesitate to call it philosophy, but there's also a lot of thought about what actually makes you happy in life. What's what should you be prioritizing in your life? Like Poppy, all she's ever wanted to do was become a travel writer and she is a travel writer for a very big uh travel magazine. And she's completed all these goals but she's just not happy. So it's kind of reflecting on what should you prioritize in life? How can you actually be happy? And work is not the only thing that should matter to you.
1: Wow. Yeah. So a lot of universal, universal themes there. How does Mm -hmm. it stack up to her previous book?
0: I would say I like this one more than Beach Read. I mean, they're both five out of five stars for me. Loved them both but I did enjoy the like universal truths, like you said, and I didn't feel like there were as many of those or any at all. in beach read it's been a while since I read it. So maybe there are, and I'm just not remembering it, but I definitely say I like this one better.
1: Cool. Cool. I'm going to check it out. Those, the, that sounds like what snagged me with, with romance in the, in the first place was the writing that goes mm-hmm. along with it. Cause for the longest time I avoided it. So this will be mm-hmm. this will be a good summer read and it's already on my to read list so
0: oh, I'm so happy that I could recommend it to you. You have to let me know what you think. Oh, yeah. I love the book so much. Yeah. I'm so happy right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I thought that we could go into guilty pleasure books next. So, what are we defining as a guilty pleasure book because this is what I feel. I feel like everything that I read that's not literary fiction is a guilty pleasure book because I feel like sometimes if like I love reading fantasy and romance, and I feel like sometimes if I read those, then people are like, "Uh, that's not real reading," you know mm-hmm. what I mean? But like, what do you think a guilty pleasure book is?
1: <laughs> so it seems <laughs> I'm laughing because that's in my notes. That I put how would you define it <laughs> as the first thing, <laughs> uh, and, and that's kind of what I put down as the perception. It, it's inter- It seems like an umbrella term for a lot of different things but I did write that down at least as there's a perception that there's no real literary merit to it um I think that misses the mark sometimes um I think that that lends itself to some stigmatizing like comics in particular I feel like get stigmatized um you know, we tend to refer to them as, oh, they're graphic novels, which is really just a way to elevate like, no, I'm not reading comics. I'm not reading trade paperbacks. I'm reading a graphic Mm -hmm. novel. Um, but really like comic art, comic book is the best way to describe it. Um, but definitely the, the no literary merit seems to be what a lot of people view. I would also add it's things people, at least for me, it's, it's, it's things people maybe shouldn't like but do, or they feel like, Oh, I shouldn't like this. I shouldn't be reading this. It's a waste of time, but I'm going to do it anyway. Cause it's that I really enjoy it. Um, so I, I, I would, I would define a guilty pleasure read as that, but even that is kind of, it's kind of limited. Like I like a lot of like pulp like old pulp fiction, like mystery novels. There's no literary merit in those, you know, some of them are kind of trashy. I'm not embarrassed by reading them. Um, so it's, again, it's, a, it's an umbrella term. It's kind it's of tough to, tough to work out. You know it when you read it, maybe is the best way to, to describe it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say I agree with you about the thing that you're not supposed to like reading. And I, I would say, like, what I picked for, for this question was Twilight, because mm-hmm. it's a terribly written book. Oh, it's But awful. <laughs> I, and I haven't, I haven't read it in a long time. I think I read it. I must have been like fifteen. So I wonder if I read it again today, what I would think about it. But I mean, at the time, I thought it was the best thing ever, and I, I also think that it probably had to do with at that time in my life, I was reading the popular books because I thought that's what I was supposed to like. Mm-hmm. Like I was reading the John Green books because I thought that's what you were supposed to like. So maybe that kind of skewed my my view of it as well. And I think that now that I'm older and I have been in other I've been in a ton of not a ton of. I've been in a few relationships. I recognize now that the dynamic between Bella and Edward was very toxic. And so I You know, I loved the book when I read it when I was younger, but I don't know if now if I would like it so much, but what did you pick for this?
1: So I went with, at least for me, if I had to, if I had to nail down, like this is what I I read or have read, that would be, I would say like hundred percent guilty pleasure book, um, poorly conceived cash grabs. (laughs) Mm-hmm. and there are some of those that i absolutely love i think you can see that with the twilight series as well weren't there like wasn't there like an alternative version of it that she put out where she was kind of milking the same yeah. cow
0: yeah she put out oh gosh midnight something i don't know it has a green apple on the cover i think mm-hmm. and it was just basically the same story from edward's perspective but it's very creepy so i feel like a lot of people were expecting it to be um like a redemption, because the dynamic between Edward and Bella is very toxic and very creepy at some point, like he breaks mm. into her house and watches her sleep, like that's weird and <laughs> completely normal I think behavior. a lot of, yeah, <laughs> I think a lot of people were expecting it to kind of um like make him not look as creepy as he was in the actual mm. Twilight books, and I haven't read that book, but I feel like a lot of people what I've heard a lot of people saying was it's just a rehash of the same thing. And it right. doesn't add anything to the series at all.
1: Right. And you see that with, um, oh, uh, what is that? The 50 shades of gray. Like they did the mm-hmm. same thing with 50 shades of gray. They told it from his perspective, which I'm sure did not help the, the, the stigma that that series has, mm. has received over time. Um, I think divergent did that too. They did something where four was like the, yeah. It was his. Yeah, I think
0: it came. They came out with like four different short stories. I don't. I didn't read them, but mm. but yeah, I get that. Like the cash grab thing, and also uh, there was just a prequel that came out to the Hunger Games called The, yeah. the Songbirds something. I don't know a Ballad yeah. of Songbirds and Snakes or something like that. I haven't read that either, but yeah. definitely. I don't know if it was needed.
1: (laughs) Probably not. Seems more like, oh, we're not relevant anymore. Let's, let's try to, let's try to bring this one back from the dead. Mm -hmm. I, I went with novelizations. I went with a couple different things, but I went with novelizations because those are normally like, yeah, they're just, it's just a cash grab. Um, it doesn't really add much to the story than the movie would. And a lot of times your novelizations are based on like the, the new Godzilla movie has a novelization. Like, okay, I'm sure that (laughs) I'm sure that's a great book. There are exceptions. Um, The Harder They Come, which is a great reggae uh, movie, there's a long, long novelization. Um, So it's a fully fleshed out novel. So that's great. Um, So I'm avoiding what I'm about to say. When I was a kid, um, I read the Doom novels, (laughs) which were novelizations of the video game Doom. And Doom has barely any story to it. Are you familiar with it?
0: I've never heard of that before.
1: It's one of the first, like, first-person shooter games. You're just, like, blowing up as many demons and zombies as you can to get through each one of the levels. And and, and the demons are coming from hell, and eventually you jump into a portal, you end up in hell, blah, 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 blah. Um, And they novelized. <laughs> they, they made novelizations of these books. They made four novelizations of these video games, which have oh no, gosh. like, plot content to them. And I loved them as a child. I have read the first book embarrassingly three times when I was in high school. I think like early college, I read it one more time. And then maybe, I don't know, four years ago, I found it in a paperback store and I was like, oh, I'll read this again. That was cool. Um, They're so dumb. They're really dumb. And I only read the first two because the the final two were really hard to find like at some point they were like going for like 60 bucks on ebay so like they were just impossible they didn't print that many copies of them um and it's really just especially the first book the first book's called knee deep in the dead really high high class fiction here that we're talking about (laughs) and it's literally like and then i walked through the gate and like you can see like oh they literally just like Played a little bit of the game, wrote down what happened, played a little bit more, wrote down what happened. So eventually you run out of plot. So the second one, it's got some plot from the second video game. And then the third and the fourth one, which I eventually tracked down for cheap, it falls into this convoluted, speculative, like politically charged, offensive Nonsense of a story, and you start to realize, oh, that's why these were out of print for so long. Um, mm-hmm. To the point where it's like, man, this is just—I have no idea what's going on. Like, give me back the shooty shooty book that I I wanted in in the first place. <laughs> the so shooty, I've read shooty book, yeah, which is just <laughs> yeah. pretty much how the how the game goes. It's a shooty shooty game. So I've read those uh, more times than I like to admit. I also read half of the Dark Man series, which is based on a movie. And the movie's not a great movie. Like it's really not a good movie. And I've also seen that movie like way too many times. Um, so I've read those and, and that follows, that follows a, a doctor who's in this accident, uh, but he's also creating this realistic skin. That was his main project. Um, so he's able to make his face look like anybody that he wants. So he, you know, tries and track down the people that did it. It's a revenge tale. It's also just like, it. it it's, it's really dumb. The, the, mm-hmm the special effects on it are very poor early 90s so i've read those um i don't know maybe like trashy romance too like i really like true blood did you ever watch true blood i have not so it's 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 southern vampire mysteries um is is the series that that it's based on by Charlene harris um and i read the first book in that and it's really trashy there's no real like literary value to it i enjoyed reading it i probably couldn't read anymore um footnote on that there's some great there's some great allegory concerning uh lgbtq rights in the series which is completely absent from the book or at least the first book um so even that's not there um so that's that's what i would go with for those i'm also a sucker for coffee table books um of stuff that i already know about so it's not like i'm even reading it for any value um like, I have one that's just, like, it's it's the first, like, 50 Game Boy games that came out. And I'm like, oh, but it's, I know it, but let me just read the the mm-hmm. summary of what this game is about that nobody plays anymore, because it was awful. So, stuff like that. Time wasters, maybe, is a good way to summarize, um, summarize the topic of a, a guilty pleasure read. I don't know.
0: Yeah, but I also think that, you know, books like that, that just take you into a different world are really important in life because mm-hmm. sometimes you just need to, you know, take a break from life, go somewhere else and just vibe for a little bit. You know, yeah, I would also true. say something that I don't know if it qualifies as a guilty pleasure book, but I really like the A Court of Thorns and Roses series by Sarah J. Moss. I don't know if you've ever read those or heard of them before. That
1: rings a bell. I feel like a student one time recommended it to me. Somebody must have recommended it.
0: They are the best. I have read them, I don't know, three times already. (laughs) There's also a, like you said, there's a cash grab book that came out uh, just, I don't know, in November or something where it it takes uh, two characters that were like minor characters in the bigger series. And then it kind of expands on their story a little bit. Haven't read it yet. I wanted to start reading it probably about a couple of days ago. I feel like I'm kind of in a reading slump right now. So hopefully I come out of that. But yeah. those those books are about, uh, you know, this girl who gets taken to a fairy land and then she kind of has to like save the fairy land from, from destruction. And I really like those a lot. But there's like no literary value to them, I guess. It's just kind of like a fun book that you read. For to just to get away for a little bit.
1: Right, right. It's even kind of troublesome to use that term, like no literary value, because I've heard plenty of people that say like, well, Harry Potter is is a trash read or a guilty pleasure read because there's no literary value to it. Um, mm-hmm. And again, I think that goes back to like, I don't like it. <laughs> so there's no literary value to it. Mm-hmm. Something Something like that. Um, but I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. I think that's important. Also as an English teacher, like it's hard for me to say like, don't read that book. That's a bad book. Like you want people to, to be reading even those doom novels. I can remember when I was a kid, I read constantly and one of my best friends hated reading, but he loved video games. So I was like, here, read this. And like, he, he read them in a couple of days and I was like, oh, all right, I need more things similar to this. Like, well, it's better, better to read than not to read. So... So apologize. Yeah. Apologies if I offended anyone who really likes those, doom novels. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're gonna get hate mail now.
1: I know. How dare you? <laughs>
0: hate emails. Okay. So we also had someone write in, and they asked for uh, small press books recommendations for a small press book, and if you want us to answer your recommendation question on the podcast just send me an email at the mark literary review at gmail.com or dm me on twitter at literary mark and we might answer it on the podcast so i'm gonna go first just because i cheated a little bit (laughs) so i went with small literary magazines because i run a literary magazine that's what the mark is also if you want to read something for free the marks archives are always free to read so just go check that out there's tons and tons of stuff for you to read there uh, but i chose two different literary magazines i'll go with the bigger one first so the bigger one is pop shot quarterly and have you ever read that one before
1: mm-hmm. I so don't.
0: it's kind of something that i would love the mark to be one day it's a Literary magazine that's also illustrated. So the illustrations are just gorgeous. And I believe this comes out of England or something like that. But I was able to actually find this out of Barnes & Noble. You, I wouldn't think that you'd be able to find it at like a small bookstore or anything like that. But they are in at least my Barnes & Noble. Hmm. And it's just, I mean, I really like it because not only is the writing great like they publish short stories and in poetry in here but i mean the illustrations are just beautiful i mean like no one on the podcast can see this right now but i'm showing adam this illustration
1: um, oh yeah and it's, pr- it's, it's really beautiful uh, yeah so it's like so, um it's like comic art as the backdrop like it takes up the entire spread and then you have is that mm-hmm. short short fiction that's on that one
0: Yeah. So, I mean, this one that I just showed you, like they have the one big, they have the one big um, graphic on there. And then Mm -hmm. kind of the rest of the story is just that the same color, but there's no illustration on it. It's just like the text. I love that all the
1: pages are colors. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So that's something that I really like reading. It comes out quarterly, as the name suggests, It's called Pop Shop Quarterly. And the other one that I wanted to recommend was actually I had the editor of this magazine on for I believe it was the second episode of this podcast when I was still doing interviews uh, with people. And it's Stanchion, S-T-A-N-C-H-I-O-N, literary magazine. And it's a, a magazine of just writing and in, in short stories and poetry. But there's also photography in here as well so people can submit photography in here and um i think that jeff the editor of this magazine does a really good job at like juxtaposing the the writing with photos like i really like seeing how he puts it together so um and it's really cheap too it's like five bucks and he i believe he lives in new york city so i mean He just sent them, I believe I paid maybe like eight bucks with shipping, maybe seven bucks. So it's pretty cheap. And you can also get a subscription for five issues for 20 bucks. So
1: nice. Very nice. Mm -hmm. I'll piggyback off that for a second. Have you, have you heard of blue cubicle press? I have not. So they publish, uh, they publish a literary magazine called the first line. And that's quarterly. And they also do a yearly anthology called Workers Write. They're really cool. Um, in in transparency, I've been published several times through them. But I read fully their anthologies. They're great. First line, which comes out quarterly, is they send out ahead of time. Here's the first line of the story. Or, or you could write it as an essay or you could write it as a poem. Um, as long as that first line is there as the first line and you don't change anything, don't change the tenses, write something and send it in. So everything in that volume will have that same first line. I think the current one that they have is, what are we going to do with that body? Something like that. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. And then workers write, which is great, is they give a theme every year. So that theme might be construction. So workers write tales from the construction site. Um, and people send in, and then the neat thing about it is they get essays and stories from people who don't normally submit to literary magazines. It's just like, oh, hey, like I've worked this type of job before. Let me write about that. So we're, uh, there's Tales from the Casino, I believe was one. The two that I was in was um, Tales from the Classroom, of course, and Tales from the Tales from the Cafe, which was a great issue because it's all like it's all just working in cafes and restaurants and what what that entails. So. Um, small, small shout out to Blue Cubicle Press. First line and Worker's Right are pretty great. I'll
0: have to check those out. I'm really interested in the first line one. That sounds yeah. really cool.
1: It's, it's interesting. It's interesting too, because it like everything you get. Now we'll see how it turns out with like, where are you going with that bot? Or what do we do with the body? Um, but they're usually a little vaguer than that. Um, it's interesting uh, where all of the stories go. Cause they all go in wildly mm-hmm. different directions. Cause of course they do. So definitely check it out. So I went with small press books. And the the first one that came to mind was uh, Blood-Soaked Buddha Hard Earth Pascal by Noah Cicero. Uh, and I just want to say I love the look and the feel of this book. It's it's a tiny book. It's compact. It's short in length. It has a matte cover, kind of an action shot of a, of a bird on, on the front. It's perfect for sticking in a back pocket. Um and i actually i reread it this week i listened to the audiobook version of it because i no longer have the book it's one of those books that i you know dog-eared and took notes in and then i was on a hike one day it talks about nature a lot in the book and i came across one of those shelters that has like a book, book bin in it so i stuffed it in the in the book bin so i no longer have it cuz again i okay. constantly get rid of my get rid of my books but this book is a, it's a reflection on buddhist concepts uh, very basic very basic buddhist concepts and how they've helped this author with his anxiety by, you know, learning to let go of his desires, particularly the desire of wanting to control every aspect of your life, which mm. everybody can can relate to. It sounds boring. If it sounds like self-help, it's, it's not. It's not kitschy. It's not a how to. Um, he starts the book by saying, like, I, I have no real reason for writing this. I'm really just writing it for myself. So if you enjoy it, great. But like I'm a failure in this society, like I would be considered a failure. You know, I'm a late 30s something childless bag boy at a grocery store. And he's written a bunch of books with small presses. Uh, The Human War was another one that I read, which is kind of (laughs) like, again, it's a disenfranchised guy who's just like thinking about the Iraq War because it's written around that time period. Um, and kind of just going about his life. So he's an interesting author, but he's, he clearly doesn't make money off of what he, what he publishes. He should though. Cause he's great. Um, mm-hmm. so he goes, he goes about describing how he's done everything right in his life. Like he went to college, he went to Korea to teach English. Cause he, he thought he should, he thought that would help him get his, get a job. He comes back. And there's no jobs available. So again, he just ends up working these small jobs. He ends up feeling like a failure. He's comparing himself to everyone. Uh, And he ends up living with a friend like out in the woods at a retreat where, you know, he doesn't have internet access, but he finds a book written by Bodhidharma, um, who's kind of an ancient monk. The legend of him is he he cut his eyelids off so that he didn't fall asleep Uh. while he was meditating. Clearly not a true story, but (laughs) an interesting story. So he's reading him and like crying and thinking about like, I I could be living a fulfilled life if I just didn't worry about these things or care what other people thought about me. Um, So it's interesting. There's a ghost story in there, which was pretty cool. Uh, It emphasizes that, you know, worry about worrying about improving yourself is the most important thing. It's a little critical of, of organized religion. So just be be cautious there. But I still think it's valuable. I still think it's worth a read. One of the quotes that I always remember is, um, what if you what if you had to spend eternity with your current shitty attitude is the way he ends mm-hmm. one of the one of the chapters of like, hey, like, it doesn't really matter what happens afterwards, be it reincarnation or, or heaven, you're probably going to carry over your attitudes to it anyway. So like fo- mm-hmm. focus on what you're you're doing. Stop trying to improve based on what others say you should improve upon. Um, so quick insight of average person's take on Buddhist philosophy. It's not preachy in the slightest. Um, definitely check it out. Trident Press is the press that put this out. They're kind of hard to find. Um, it's tridentcafe.com. And from there, you can click on their their other books. I've never read any of their other books. There's there's some interesting stuff there that I'd love to check out. 60 Tattoos I Secretly Gave Myself at Work jumps out. That's one of the books they have listed on their <laughs> website currently. Um, and then that led me to listening to the audiobook, since I didn't have a copy of the book, the audiobook's like three hours long. The Talkingbook.org is the website of the organization that put this out, and it's an organization that seeks out authors who wouldn't get an audiobook otherwise. And they get professional readers to read the books and publish those. And they've also republished things. They've done some Anais Neen and Henry Miller things, but it's mainly independent authors that you might not hear otherwise. And they also have a literary magazine that's in audio form, which is really cool. Um, So check that out, thetalkingbook.org. So that was... Blood-soaked Buddha, Hard Earth, Pascal by Noah Cicero, and I also really like This Is Essays on Jazz, which I read a couple years ago, and that's from Outpost Nineteen, um, and it's it's deep dives on jazz music, like like musicians that you wouldn't have heard of otherwise. So if you mm-hmm. like jazz music at all, it's the perfect kind of kind of read there.
0: Jazz music is the theme of this podcast, I think. I think so. We we're talking about with, with Haruki Murakami earlier.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I definitely think so.
0: Okay, well, that's all I had to talk about. Did you have anything else?
1: I don't believe so. It's been a, it's been a solid week for reading. We'll see where it takes us mm-hmm. next week. Send us recommendations, please.
0: Yes, and thanks everyone for listening.
1: Thank you, everyone in internet land. See ya.
0: Thank you for tuning into this edition of Lit These Days, presented by the Mark Literary Review. This episode was edited by Evander Lang, and the music was provided by David Mock. We'll be back next week with another episode.